0: faith family and before Brian comes and shares his word for the year I wanted to make everyone aware um, of some news that we announced to our youth and to those who were here on Wednesday night so you never know what you're going to miss um, if if you're not here but on Wednesday night um, we announced that as of January 29th that Brian Gann would be stepping away or stepping out of his position as youth pastor which is not good, we are not happy, but both Brian and Candace feel like this is the time to transition someone else into the position. Um, In the words of Brian, and I know he'll touch on this in a minute, he says, as our family has grown, as our job demands have grown with it, um, there are no longer enough hours in the day to be able to give um, to the youth the time it needs. Um, In case you're not doing the math, five children under under the age of 11. So just begin working, processing that. Uh, at the end of the service this morning we are going to read another statement or a statement that we gave on Wednesday night in full just to make uh, everybody aware kind of where we are where we're going and although I hate I hate the reality of having to to make the announcement I hate the reality that's in front of us as a church I tell you this I can't thank Brian and Candace enough for the way they have served our youth and our faith family over the last eight years so I'm so thankful for that and um, I, I there's a part of me that wants to get sad, and there's a part of me that thinks, man, I talk to Brian on the phone every day um, this week, and we'll probably do the same thing next week, so there we go. But although we, we live in a world where um, things often change, I'm going to ask Brian to come now and share the one thing that we know will not change, which is the Word of God. Amen. So Brian, come and share with us that. Let's make him feel welcome, <clears throat> or you can boo him, whatever you want.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. So, so gracious. Um, imagine that this will be one of the hardest sermons I've tried to, to preach. It's not, it's not fun news. Um, and you know, the one question, especially if you're sports minded at all, the one thing you always ask yourself at the end of a game or at the end of a season, you always ask yourself, you know, did I leave it all on the field? You know, and that's one thing where we won't know till we get to heaven one day and we hear the word, you know, well done, good and faithful servant or not. But that's the one thing you always ask yourself is, did I leave it all on the field? And um, in, in my time, and, you know, throughout, when, when, when you're in ministry or or even throughout life, you go through seasons. And there and it's good because you get to look back and reflect and say, okay, what, what could I have done? What could I have done this? But when it comes down to it, the coach calls the place, and then it's up to you to carry it out. You know, so that's kind of where I feel where I'm at. Um, you know, for everybody, every one of us is a Christian in here, it's a daily walk, and you you get up in the morning, you try to you serve God the best way you know how, in whatever capacity He's called you to, and then the next day, if if you if you got breath in your lungs still, you get a chance to try it again, and then one day we get the glory and we get to cast the crowns at the feet of Christ, and you know that then your work is done. So. I want to be quick to point out we're not we're not leaving uh, ministry Um, I'm blessed to be in in involved um, in ministry in full-time here in town at a at a University Ministries where I teach Bible to middle schoolers five days a week I have about a hundred middle schoolers that I get to teach the Word of God to every day uh, six six times in a row (laughs) every day so we're still I'm still very much submerged in ministry but as the demands of my family have grown, and my wife's also working full-time. She worked all night last night. She's at home now uh, sleeping. She got home about, about 7 this morning. Um, things have changed a little bit in our lives. And so I don't know how long this season will last, but it's where we're at right now. And so there's kind of no other. there, there was kind of no other way to go with it. Um, so I'm excited about uh, – I get excited about new things. And, and in fact, uh, I love blowing things up and watching and then rebuilding it. You know, so I look forward to somebody coming in with their own take on things and seeing what they can do with it. So it to me is exciting. You know, um, you know, if uh, it's kind of like this, if I would have went home to be with the Lord, there'd still be youth group next next Wednesday night, right? Okay, so it's kind of where it goes. All right. Um, well, I know there'll be we're we're uh, I'll still be serving in the capacity for a few more weeks, uh, so I know there'll be plenty of time to talk to everybody and individuals, but. Uh, Before I go any farther, this church has just meant so much to me over the years. Along my uh, along my 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 spiritual journey began here. Uh, Well, my new life in Christ began here, Um, and that's we're going on 25 years that this has been served as my home church. So uh, it's kind of unique, kind of a unique experience um, that most most pastors don't get to do that. And of course, your your pastor gets to do the same thing but you know, we're, we're family. We're not, we're not from, we're not, you know, brought in as hirelings or whatever else. We're family. And that's how, that's how I see it anyways. All right. If you got a copy of God's word today, we're going to be in John chapter 10. We'll eventually read one through 18, but we're going to start off with this John 10:10 10, 10 for now. And you'll, you'll, you'll get my word fairly quickly. Um, and I will do my best over the next few minutes. And I say few, cause I'm, I'm pretty brief. I'm not as smart as your pastor is, so I usually get get in and get you out pretty quick. But uh, it, John 10:10 10, 10 says this. It says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Christ speaking says, "I have come that they have that they may have life." And have it to the full. Let me read it one more time. The thief comes only to steal and kill, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving me my word for the year, the word life. God, thank you for this life that you've given us to lead, this exciting life that you've given us to leave. Not boring. Not monotonous, but your mercies are new every day. You, you, you tell us more than once, God, you want us to sing a new song to you. And God, you're into making old things new. God, you've taken this mind of ours and you've renewed it. You've taken this heart of ours and given us a new heart, God. So we thank you for life and we thank you for a new life. God, thank you that you're always trying to do something new in us. We love you Jesus in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, John 10 we will, we will be reading John 10 verse 1 through 18 in a second, but um as I kind of get to where I'm going, you know, I've been this year I've gotten to teach a new class that I've never gotten the opportunity to teach like this before. I'm taking an entire class of 8th graders from creation all the way to the cross. And you can imagine the challenge that that <laughs> faces. Keeping 13 and 14 year olds and 15 year olds engaged in the Word of God through the Old Testament, then into the New Testament. All right. But I didn't realize the effect it would have on me while teaching it. I've never taught book by book by book by book before. And so I am sitting here just, even though I, I have my undergrad in um, religion. Even though I've, I've I have a degree to hang on the wall that says I'm am a Bible guy, I've never taught it like this before. And you know, we started off with creation, obviously. And you see that God created this amazing, this amazing existence, which we get to be a part of. And if, of course, you know, here in town, if you, if you're an outdoor person, Jacksonville is just a great place to live. Um, you know, beautiful beautiful beaches and. Uh, beautiful bodies of water here in inland in in, in in Florida and just Florida's a pretty amazing state and if you've gotten to travel to the mountains and I've been blessed to live out in the California Oregon border and I've gotten to see Mexico and I've gotten to you know just if you've gotten to travel at all and just see the the beautiful creation that God has given us to enjoy as his as his children it's amazing to see and it doesn't take us long to figure out that god loves life it doesn't take us long I'm, you know if you live at the beach you go to the mountains for vacation if you live in the mountains you go to the beach for vacation it's just kind of how it works and then um but as i start teaching creation and, and I'm, I'm showing the kids how everything's put together and i'm showing them that you know how god hung the earth just perfect that somehow it's spinning around the sun but at the same time it's spinning around the sun it's spinning on its axis and at the same time our tides stay perfect at the same time. We stay just close enough to where we don't freeze. And we stay just far enough to where we don't burn up and there's just enough gravity upon us to where we don't float off. And there's just enough gravity upon us to where we're not, you know, smushed to the ground. And then I pause for a second and say, isn't that cool how all that just evolved on, its own. <laughs> of course, I'm, I'm being sarcastic when I say that, but even to a 13-year-old, they're thinking to themselves, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and so it's, and to them, it's like, it's ludicrous that we teach anything else, and I'm like, amen, and so it's, as, we're, as we're going through creation, then we go into the the to the garden, and we see how how God decided, you know, it wasn't good for man to be alone, and and we see Eve come in the picture, and, um, and then we see the fall take place, and we see God's creation enter into, and that sin becomes part of our, our, our DNA for the rest of history, unfortunately, until, um, until we receive our glorified bodies one day. And so we, we, we're going through there, we're going into the, then, then we leave there, and, um, you know, eventually we get uh, into the flood uh, and we see, the, we, see, we see the flood, and, of course, I'm, I'm skipping over some, some, some important stuff that's in there. But, of course, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing Abraham, we're seeing Sarah, we're seeing all these things, and we see, we're seeing God's covenant, and we're seeing that God's rebuilding a nation, and we see that he's starting with um, the 12 tribes of Judah, the 12 sons of Judah. And we see that God's people leave where they're at, and they end up in Egypt. In Egypt, of course, they're made slaves because they grew so numerous, and we see Moses uh, rise up among the ranks, and even the story of Moses is amazing how, how that takes place. And we're leaving, we leave there, and we, of course Moses returns, and he's a great leader, and he leads the millions and millions of slaves out of Egypt through the desert, and they cross the Red Sea, and they defeat the army, and not to, not to forget about the plague that took place, and now 40 years later, it's time they finally have their land and they're entering into to, to the Canaan land. And they win victory after victory after victory and battle after battle after battle. And we see that God is establishing uh, these great people. And we see great kings rise up. We see David rise up and we see um, great king Solomon rise up. And then after that, it's like the breaks go on. And this, and I, since I've never taught it like this, we get to the place to where the Assyrian, to where the, the the kingdom divides. Solomon's son loses half the kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel keeps the name Israel, and they um, never have one good king. In fact, king so evil that They are no longer worshiping the one true God. They're worshiping false gods, and eventually God wipes them off the face of the earth and has them taken into captivity, the Assyrian captivity, and those tribes never return, ever. In fact, to this day, there's still speculation to what happened to the lost tribes. And you can can read on that and go a whole other direction on that. But then there's the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom wasn't much better. Their capital was still Jerusalem, but the southern kingdom, uh, they have like six good kings in all this time, but they at least had some good kings that led them into revival. But years and years and years passed since the Assyrian captivity, like 130-something years, and we see the southern kingdom of Judah, which is the land of Israel, taken into captivity. And so there was a 70-year period where God's people were nowhere to be found except for the ones that were left behind. You see, when the Babylonians came in, they took the best that Israel had to offer. They took the smartest and the handsome and uh, the prettiest and the the ones that could work with their hands and that were skilled laborers, and, and that's what they took with them when they left. But there was a prophecy made that they would be gone for 70 years then return. So my heart sank when we got to this portion when we were teaching. And so because if you've ever read everything that God did, ever taught or read everything that God did up to this point, and then it's gone. It's gone. And it wasn't God that changed. It was his people who changed it wasn't God who turned his back on these people it was the people who turned their back on their God but you know we've just studied about the miracles and the 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 provision and and of course I jumped through and skipped a ton but and we just we just read about all these things these awesome, amazing thing that God has done but yet they'd still turned and then it it says it it even goes as graphic as to say there was no other remedy than this, and then the course of course the chastisement comes. Well, now we're getting into the part where um, Zerubbabel comes on the scene from captivity and rebuilds the temple, and we see um, we see in the book of Ezra how the walls now being rebuilt. And Ezra is rebuilding, uh, Ezra, or the book in Nehemiah, how the wall is being rebuilt. We see in Ezra how Ezra is, is, is rebuilding the people. And we see now it, it's starting to come back together. But for that period in that time, my heart sank. And I knew the stories. I'd never not known the stories before. But just to see it in that, how everything goes and then it was done. But what I'm seeing now is God's never done with his remnant people. He's not and now we're getting to the story, which is called the remnant kingdom of the, of, the, of the people returning. And if there's not a message for the church today that is, it's time to come home. It's time to come back to God. And we're not looking at this thing saying, oh, well, you're just, you're just, you're just Baptist and that's how you feel. Or you're just this and that's how you feel. If God, if God is your father, then I'm your brother. I don't care what church you go to. If you are a true member of the body of Christ, if Jesus has died for your sins and, you've had the, and, and, and you have made him Lord of your life and, and you have repented of your sins and you're a Christian, then we serve the same God. You know, here in John chapter 10, verse 1 through 18, we see this relationship between the shepherd and his flock. And you see the you see how life is perfectly carried or how life is supposed to be perfectly carried out. Let's read John chapter 10, 1 through 18 together. It says <clears throat> It says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He who will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. All right, we just read a lot of verses there. Let's, uh, as Pastor would say, let's unpack it. That's fancy, Pastor. All right, God called himself the shepherd of Israel. As we've learned in previous sermons, that calling yourself a shepherd back then wasn't exactly a great thing. A shepherd was not revered, a shepherd was all. all At times it was the lowest class of society but the illustration works and so we're gonna go with it and regardless of what people thought by it the Lord is relating to us and he's calling himself the Shepherd of his flock God God called himself the Shepherd of Israel a king as a shepherd God as a shepherd that would be kind of like a royal caretaker is what we have think about that church if we're the sheep, and he's the shepherd, then we have a royal caretaker that takes care of his sheep. You are not alone. You do not face this thing on your own. You might, have, you might feel like you're lost in the wilderness, but the scripture tells us that though he has 99 and loses one, he goes and looks for him. You might be saved and you might have fallen away, God still loves you, and you have worth, you have value, and God sent his son, and yes, and the the death of Christ even covers those sins. Let's talk about the sheep pen, which we find here in verses 1 through 2. It says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen uh, by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Well, we can, we, can, we can attest to that. If I come to the house and I see somebody coming in going in through the window, it doesn't take me too long to figure out what's going on, right? We see here a sheep pen is a court surrounded by walls but open to the sky and only has one entrance. The walls keep the sheep from wandering and protect them from wild animals. All right, so we can kind of get this picture in our heads. Um, Okay, walls, one door, no roof. Okay, this is the sheep pen, okay? Um, The neat thing about the sheep pen, uh, and then we'll talk about this in a second, that the sheep pen might hold more than one person's sheep. It was like a large courtyard. Um, And there was one entrance. If for some reason... um, if for some reason there was something going, if a sheep was was uh, smart enough to try to get through, get, get out the top, maybe they would have had to uh, put a ceiling on it years before. But as we know, sheep, sheep were considered dumb back in the day. They didn't really work together, so there was no problem with there not being a roof on it. All right. So this pen kept them from uh, wild animals. You know, the first verse I thought about when I, when I read this is a verse found in Proverbs, and it says that, a man without self-control is like a city without walls. You see, those walls were there to defend the sheep. You see, God puts parameters in our life also. And if that's not God restricting our freedom, that's God knowing what's best for us. You know, if my if my daughter, she's about a year and a half old, if she picked up a fork and was running for the light socket and, and my wife went to stop her, I wouldn't say, no, no, no baby. Let her go, she's got to learn, right? <laughs> and as we watch, okay, here, yeah. and then we help, help, you know, fix afterwards. No, that's not what you do as a parent. As a parent, we put parameters up. As a parent, we put guidelines up. You know, I have, I have kids in my class who have parents who are very loose and very unengaged, and I have parents that um, are the other direction, and they're very on top of their kids and structured with their kids and watch what they watch and, and they, they check their phones and they have their email passwords and the kids that don't have that, if they were to be honest, they would tell you that they wish they did. I know you're never going to get a teenager to admit that, but I'll tell you, you can tell a difference in the kid and that's how it should be. People, we really, if you'll admit it or not, we desire parameters. We want to know our boundaries. And that's what this pen was giving the the sheep a a sense of defense. All right. All right. In verse 3, we see that there's a watchman involved. It says here, the watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. The watchman was in charge of a large fold where several flocks were kept. The sheep recognized the voice of their own shepherd and responded only to him. His voice, his sheep knew. You know, so many times, guys, we we want to act like we don't know what to do in a certain situation or we want to act like we don't know the truth or the, the right way to walk or what God really wants us to do. But the truth of it probably is that God has spoken, we heard it, and we didn't listen. The sheep know his voice. The sheep know their shepherd's voice. The shepherd called only sheep that belong to him. The shepherd called only sheep that belong to him. And verse 4 it says, when he was brought out all his own sheep, he goes out ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, this is this is contrary to what we might have seen uh, in the old Western going on a good old cattle drive or something. You see, a Palestinian shepherd led his sheep. A Palestinian shepherd led his sheep He did not drive them. The shepherd followed, the sheep followed the shepherd because they knew his voice. Perhaps we don't know the direction to go because we don't know the father's voice. And there could be a few reasons for that. Well, let's get the first one out of the way. Maybe you don't really know the shepherd. Okay, well, if you don't, there's good news for that. We just happen to have an altar here. And my, pa- my, my pastor will be glad to talk to you after the service. Number two, maybe there's so much sin in your life that you can no longer hear the shepherd's voice. You know, it's a still, small voice. And if we stay distracted, and if we stay busy and we load things up, and on that morning drive to work, I, th- I throw on, you know, sp- sport talk radio instead of maybe turning it off one morning and maybe hearing from god or maybe getting up earlier in the morning to have 15 minutes with the lord before i walk out the door before the craziness starts i think we don't i think maybe we don't we don't hear his voice because we're not listening anymore Another reason you might not hear his voice is because you've fallen asleep. You know, there were a few of his disciples that he pleaded with to not fall asleep. When the trials were coming, when the greatest tribulation of Christ was coming, and his best friends fell asleep on him. Guys, don't fall asleep on the shepherd. Not only does he have work for you to do, but he's got an abundant life for you to live. This life in Christ is not boring. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Now, the world wants to make you think that, but it's not true. In verse 8, it says, All who ever come before me and what he's saying here in verse 8 when he says all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to him okay so who are these who who are these all well these all were Pharisees and chief priests and false prophets not the true old testament prophets that we know today so there are actually people that will come in order and their number one goal is to distract And help the sheep lose their way. And the Pharisees. And the false prophets. And the Sadducees. Guess where we found them? In the church. We found them in the marketplace. Showing off. Wearing their robes and their jewels. And and praying for everybody to see. Don't get distracted, sheep, by the sheep sitting next to you in the pew. But they're a hypocrite. Yeah, you are too, probably. I've lived this Christian life for almost 25 years, and I have sinned every one of them. i I've tried so hard. All right, verse 9 says this. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and get out and find pastures." How many gates was there, church? (laughs) There's one gate. How many ways did Jesus say there is to heaven? There's one way. How could our Savior be so closed-minded? How dare he? Here's the facts, guys, and it's not hard to understand. If there's more than one way to heaven, then why did my Jesus have to die? If there's more than one way, then why did my Jesus have to die? The lie that's being spread to the younger generation, it used to be tolerance. It's changed from tolerance. It's no longer tolerance. If you don't believe just like me, then you're a bigot. If you don't believe just like me, then you're not. Tol- then you're not. Then, then, then you're not tolerant. Well, then, well, since when do my beliefs not matter? We're now not only told to be tolerant, but we're now told how to believe and what to believe. Christ says there is one way. Christ says there's one way. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Inside the gate is the only way to salvation. Inside there is safety, and one is able to go out and find pasture. And when you find that pasture, that's where God supplies all your needs, and that's when you're living that abundant life. Verse 10 says, and I've hit this once, I'll hit it again. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy him. Good on time. And destroy. It says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief is only interested in himself. Christ's interests are in his sheep. Whom he enables to have the fullness of life. You see, a a Palestinian shepherd would, and this is in verse 11, a a Palestinian shepherd would risk danger for his sheep. The good shepherd was willing to die for his sheep. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Man, we see this, we see this repeated throughout life. Nobody takes care of your stuff like you do, right? Nobody cares as much about your, your home or your property as much as you do. Nobody cares about your kids as, as much as you do. A hired hand is interested in wages, not sheep. A hired hand is interested in wages, not sheep. In time of danger, he runs away because of what he is and abandons the flock to predators. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, my sister was watching uh, my four-year-old for me, my Avonlea. And if you know Avonlea, her nickname Sweet and Sour. And Avonlea was telling... Uh, my sister that I had gotten in trouble that the night before and she was still mad with me. And she told my sister that I was as mean as a wolf. <laughs> no L involved, just a wolf. So this really speaks to me right now. I'm feeling convicted. <laughs> she doesn't quite get the fact that if you love your children that means you chastise them. She's still working on that that part guys christ has no problem defending you over the the wolves and the lions and everything else in this world you know it's no it's no secret that um at times we get weak even though that we're told to be as bold as a lion even though even though the the, the scriptures tell us that we have an adversary that roams around like a roaring lion to get us, we get weak at times. Christ is not afraid of your problems. Christ is not afraid of whatever it is that's coming after you. It might not be a wolf. It might be worse than that. Christ ain't scared. In time of danger, in time of danger the hireling would run away because of what he is and he abandons the flock to the predators the scriptures teach us time and time again that god will never leave us nor forsake us even when it gets tough verse 14 it says i am the good shepherd i know my sheep and my sheep know me this right here is telling us that there is a deep and mutual knowledge like a father and a son like a mother and a daughter that's what it's spelling out here for us you know our relationship with our God is not one of like like Zeus and Hercules our relationship is that of the of of the closest father and son or closest mother daughter relationship that you can imagine. Verse 15, how much does he love you? I'll tell you. Verse 15 says, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also, that they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. These already belong to Christ, though though, he had not, though they had not been brought to him, not of this sheep pen, those outside, those were the, the Jews he was so speaking of that will become Christians. And here is a glimpse of the future of the worldwide scope of the church. So there was never, it was no longer going to be Jew and Gentile. There was, this is when it was all coming together right here. This was him telling you what's coming. And that's one church. Um, now, of course, we can define that, and it would probably need defining in many different ways. Um, and when we are not, we are not, we are not saying here that we that we recognize cults and stuff like that by one church. We're not saying that, okay? And that's probably a whole other sermon. What we are saying that those that are in Christ, true believers, there's one head and one flock. And though and though the Dun Creek might have their church over there and that we might have our church here and, and First First Baptist Downtown's got their church there, we're the same church. Make sense. Alright. Let's take a look at verse 17 and 18 together. It says The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. That Christ would die for his people. This is the theme that we see running directly through this section of John's gospel both the love and the plan of the father are involved as well as the authority he gave to the son christ obediently chose to die otherwise no one would have the power to take his life we know that when he was on the cross he could have called down legions upon legions upon legions of angels but he loved us so much that he died for us that we, that we might be saved from our sins Amen. church when I read this I felt empowered by this portion of scripture God loves me God loves you he wants to empower you to live this life he doesn't come as a thief He doesn't come as a hireling at us. He comes as a shepherd. Won't you let him guide you to the life that you should be living? I don't have a fancy poem or a fancy story, but this portion of scripture just popped when I read it. And I said, that's it for me. So there's my word for the year. Pastor, all yours, sir.